Uh, about four years ago, uh, Joe and I went to Darwin just before the 1st of July, which, if you don't know, is Territory Day. We didn't know, but we soon learned all about it. The first thing that you learn is that you can buy fireworks. I'm so excited. <laughs> but there is a catch. You can only use them between 6pm and 11pm on the 1st of July. That doesn't seem to affect some people because they spend heaps of money, unbelievable amount of money on fireworks. Oh, and that's right. And they spend a heap on what naturally goes with fireworks. Alcohol. Funny enough. Uh, the photo on the screen was supposed to be Mindel Beach. I think, I'm not sure. Is that Mindel Beach? Yeah. Alright, so there's photos of Mindel Beach. Um, and it's exactly what it is like. It is the photo, for me, the photo of the fireworks at Mindel Beach seemed to capture the sense and looks like the whole sky, all the heavens are celebrating. On the beachfront there's this massive party, music, dancing, and of course it climaxes with this firework display. It was the biggest I've ever seen. It was so big you felt like it was pushing you back in your seat. The more, the more they went off. It was just almost shell-shocked we were. But that wasn't the end of it. No. Walking home, the walk home was littered with fireworks going off on street corners, being dropped out of flats, being shot from the the top of of apartment balconies. It seemed to go all night. I don't know what happened to the 11pm cut-off. Because I was still going when we woke up in the morning. <laughs> I've never been to Beirut. I don't want to go to Beirut. But I think Darwin that day was something similar. In the morning, our host, of course, explained that this was normal. For this one night, it's a huge celebration. When we read the parables in Luke 15, we need to understand that we're told them because Jesus seemed to have this habit of celebrating with the wrong people. Well, in some eyes, anyway. But we're told them as if they are saying, this is why we're celebrating. You know, I've gone to parties, I've gone to parties in the past, and on the way, sitting in the car, I've wondered, I wonder what this party's about. Do you, I often ask Joe, do you know what they're celebrating? Do you know what we have going to this party? Jesus is saying, though, this is why we are celebrating. Wouldn't you have a party if it was you? People's concerns came, though, because of the type of people Jesus chose to celebrate with. Tax collectors. Anybody that works for the tax office, even today, 
we still dislike. It's biblical. If you're a Pharisee. Sorry. So tax collectors would dislike that dislike not just because they collected taxes, but it was because that they collected taxes for Herod and the Romans, and sometimes both. And nobody liked them. That's why you often read that it seems that tax collectors are always in the plural. It always seems that when they talk in the Bible about tax collectors, they're all together. Partly because nobody else wanted to hang out with them. But they're also collecting taxes from Gentiles. And being in regular contact with Gentiles, in some views, would have made them unclean. The other category of people who, who, died, who died with, um, with Jesus was a general group that was just labelled as sinners. We don't know, it's a little unclear who this group might have been, they're just labelled as sinners. Probably all could have fitted in. Um, they may have been a group, like we read in John 7 verse 49, where they are described as this mob that knows nothing of the law. There is a curse on them. They may have been too poor, too uneducated to know the law properly, or to try and keep it. One thing is for sure, that the self-appointed experts regarded them as hopelessly irreligious, completely out of touch with the demands that God had made on the people of Israel. One of the things that I am sure is that these verses, Jesus isn't saying that such people were simply accepted as they were. No, sinners were still expected to repent. The lost coin and the lost sheep were both found. But Jesus has a very different view of repentance than his critics do. For them, for the critics, it was all about adopting their standards of purity and their standards of what the law demanded. For Jesus, it was all about following him in his way. That's what true repentance meant. Whilst it is not so much stated as implied, Jesus is also saying to the Pharisees and the experts of the law, they need to repent in this way. If you reread the, the passage this morning, if you reread verse 7, when Jesus says to them that over 99, sorry, over 99 righteous persons who do not repent need to repent. Can you picture a sort of glint in Jesus' eyes? I sort of get this, that Jesus got this wry, nice smile and smoke on his face, or a questioning tone in his voice. I think if you can picture that, you can hear what Jesus is intending by this remark. The point of these parables are therefore clear. All of heaven is having a party. All of heaven. And if we are not having one, 
If we aren't celebrating as well, then we are out of step with God's reality. The punchline to the stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, depends on, depends on the Jewish belief that there is two halves to God's creation, heaven and earth. We're meant to fit together in harmony with each other. If you discover what's going on in heaven, you'll discover how things are meant to be here on earth. Just think about it. It's the whole point of the Lord's Prayer when we say, on earth as it is in heaven. For the poor old Pharisees and the legal experts, they were concerned, they, as far as they were concerned, the nearest one could ever get to heaven was, of course, the temple. The temple required strict purity from the priests. And the closest non-priests could get to, uh, to copying uh, this heaven was to maintain a life of strict purity, like the priests in every aspect of their life. But Jesus comes along and is declaring that all of heaven is having this amazing party every time, every time a single, just one sinner becomes a follower of Jesus and began to follow God's way. So what Jesus is doing is copying life in heaven. And if dwellers on earth had to copy life and had to copy life in heaven, they'd be doing the same. They'd be out celebrating. When we look at the details of the two parables, the sheep and the coin, there is nothing really special in it about the sheep and coin themselves. There is, of course, some thought that the coin may have been part of the woman's life savings and just possibly her dowry. So losing one coin is devastating. It's devastating both personally and financially. The sheep, as you've heard from me in the past, sheep aren't special. When I go to my son's farm, and he only has a handful of my you, except for the lambs, which I can tell they're not like the other sheep because they're smaller, they all look the same to me. But even so, none of them are more special than others. He can tell them apart, but they're still sheep. The whole point of the parable is that the only thing different about the sheep is that it was lost. And an important point of the parable is not the looking that is celebrated, it is the finding. So, can you imagine the impact of this story on a sinner? Who heard the story? The message to them would have been, we don't have to earn God's love or even respect from Jesus. He, he came, hang on, he came looking for them, not vice versa. We didn't have to look for him. He came looking for us. And as he finds them, there is this great celebration about them, about them being found. 
surely would have changed the world. And there is a deep, the deepest point of the parable. And the reasons why the Pharisees objected to Jesus' action was because Jesus was saying that his actions on earth corresponded exactly with what was going on in the heavenly realm. Two weeks ago, only two weeks ago, seems like longer, I asked you to party like Jesus. To live your life with the joy of a party every day. This week, the challenge is to the church as a whole. What do we have to do in the world? If we are to make people ask questions to which stories like these are the answer, what would it take? What would you have to do for, the pe for people to ask you the question, why are you doing something like that? And give us a chance to tell the stories about finding something that was lost and something that they haven't found. I'm not sure, I'm really not sure what that might look like. But one thing I am sure is that living life like a Pharisee is not the answer. It wasn't in Jesus' day and it isn't today. It might be sharing something that you do, or you are doing, that you haven't shared with your friends before. It may be something as simple as uh, the boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Talks, telling people that you have to go and get stuff and put in a shoebox to send the children halfway around the world. And explain to them the joy. So explain to them the celebration that they get and that you can by doing Jesus' work. Or how maybe, how you were looking forward to any other celebration you have. It may be the combined morning tea in a couple of weeks. We have it every week, a celebration after church together. <coughs> the things that Jesus, the things that God is doing for each one of us. I'm totally unsure what it is for you and the people God has put in your lives. But what I do know is that if the things in our lives and in our faith and in our love of Jesus are like a celebration every time we talk about it, sooner, sooner or later, it will drive people to ask a question. We, of course, all we have to do is to be ready to answer that question in such a way that they feel that there is something in it, something in it for them. And that we, and all of heaven and earth, are all going to rejoice in the fact that they found it.